In 2007, a woman in Oregon won $1 million on a scratch-off lottery ticket. Two weeks later, after collecting her money, when she had already spent 30000 of that million, authorities discovered that she bought the ticket under a false identity using the credit card of her boyfriend's deceased mother. They took away her winnings and prosecuted her, of course, but how did they find out about the crime? Only because after she had won $1 million in the lottery, she had continued to use the fraudulent credit card. She had a million dollars in hand, maybe less with taxes, but she was still charging credit on a dead woman's credit card. Why would someone risk a fortune that was certain only to gamble on risky behavior? You know, that might be the question we would ask the younger son in our story. If we could meet him face to face and shake him by his robes before he made his grand exit trying to knock some sense in this young boy. This young man has a loving home, a family. His physical needs are provided for. He's got an inheritance in the bank waiting for a day when he's old enough and mature enough to handle it. Why does he take his father's money and run? I'll never forget my first car. We, I think all of us remember our first car. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but Ford Ranger. Little, tiny Ford Ranger. Not an extended cab, had no room, um, bench seating, um, horrible gas mileage. It was like a surprise. My parents were getting a, a new car, and they uh, had a church member selling this Ranger, and so they included it, you know, in the loan, which, you know, they didn't have Dave Ramsey at the time. But, um, <clears throat> and I wasn't concerned about that at all as a 17, 18-year-old. And so I come home to this Ford Ranger that's in the parking lot, in, in the driveway. And they had filled it up with gas and said, the first tank of gas is on us. Well, what do I do? I got in my car, and I drove every bit of that gas around town, showing everybody my new car. And it was empty very quickly. And if I could just turn back and say to my 17-year-old self, why, why? But we do that. We waste the extravagant offer and love that we get sometimes. Don't we do that? Why does, he, why does this younger son take his father's money and run. Why do we do what we do? Why do we, the children of God, turn our backs on the goodness of God? Maybe, maybe it's just maybe it's for a lifetime. Maybe it's been your whole life. Maybe it's just a momentary lapse of judgment. None of us have had any of those, right? It's hard to say why we, God's children, continue to gamble when the fortune, our internal Eternal inheritance is already ours. During the season of Lent, we've been, we've been looking at God on the move. We've been looking at, at God on the move and how God moves in our lives as we look at Jesus moving closer and closer to the cross. And three days later, 
the resurrection. God is on the move. I'm going to say that again. God is on the move. God is on the move in our world. He's on the move in our church. He's on the move in your life. We just got to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And so as, we, as we've been going through the, the Gospel of Luke, we come to this often read, often studied passage and parable of what's often called the parable of the prodigal son. And we see that God is indeed on the move again. As the church throughout at least recent history, a lot of time and attention has been spent on the younger son. I mean, he's the one with all the action in the story, Right? He's the one that insults his father by asking for an inheritance that's not even his. The inheritance in that day went to the older son. So it's not even his to ask for. But he asked for it anyways, and he asked for it before his father is dead. Because when do you get an inheritance? When the person dies. So he's basically saying, Dad, you're dead to me. So he insults his dad. The younger son's the one who blows all that inheritance and in, in, in no time. The younger son is the one who gets the party when he comes home. He seems to be the focus, right? And, you know, isn't that how it is today? I mean, isn't it the disobedient child, the disobedient sibling, the wayward child that gets all the attention and focus? It may be negative attention and negative focus, but he gets all or she gets all the attention nonetheless. The unruly child sibling is the one you got to worry about and focus on. you got to work harder at getting that child to obey, and you celebrate more when that child does something positive. You celebrate more when that child gets a C versus an F than the child who always gets the A. That may not seem right or fair, and that may not be your experience. That's how it goes sometimes. And it seems like that's what's going on in our passage. The younger son, he went out, he lived wildly, decided to come home, even if it meant he was going to be uh, viewed as a hired servant. Yet he was celebrated for coming back home, and he was thrown this lavish, huge party. That didn't seem right to the older brother. I mean, he had stayed home. He had done what his father had asked him. He was a dutiful son, responsible. Why had he never had a party? What's up with that, Dad? Thanks again to the Daily Text devotion. I want you to see something in what both of these sons say to their father. Younger son, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your own. Your son, make me like one of your hired servants older son. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. The younger son knew he was a son, though he lived in the far country. The older son had forgotten that he was a son, though he lived in his father's house. The younger son knew he needed mercy. The older son felt he deserved a celebration. He knew nothing about mercy. The younger son was willing to forfeit his sonship in order to be a servant. 
the older son actually did forfeit his sonship in order to be a servant. The younger son never imagined getting a celebration when he came home. The older son could not bring himself to even go inside the party. Both sons were lost, though only one knew it. Only one son was found. You know, it's often most difficult for those closest to home to come inside. It's often most difficult for those closest to home to come inside. I imagine, shot in the dark, most of us in this room feel like the older son than the younger son. Maybe not. I'm sure there's, you, you know, but a lot of us have been in church our whole lives. We've grown up here. We're here almost every time the doors of the church are open, right? I mean, for most part, that's my story. Methodist preacher's kid who started preaching when he was 21 years old. I mean, I'm the older son. Once I heard the call to preach, I, I answered. I didn't run from it. I'm the one that deserves the party. I mean, it's me. That's me. Is that you? Is that you? The thing that both the older son and the younger son needed to realize is that they were both in need of God's mercy and grace. They were both in need of the Father's love. Only one realized it, though. I've shared this with you before, not long ago. But we often hear this parable called the parable of the prodigal son, with the emphasis on the younger son. The word prodigal means wastefully extravagant. Wastefully extravagant. And we assume that's referring to the younger son. I mean, he's the one that wastes his father's money. And he did so extravagantly on women and anything else he could find, any pleasure. He was the prodigal son. But, but while all the attention goes to the younger son, the one in the story that is the true prodigal is the father. He is the one who wastefully extravagant, who is wastefully extravagant with his money and his resources, and most importantly, with his love. I mean, it's, it's the father who lets his son go, knowing his son, knowing him well enough, he knows what's going to happen. It's the father who, as the scripture puts it, while the younger son was still a long ways off, his father saw him was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I don't know how the father saw him so far away, except that he most likely was always looking down the road. Always. Staring at the exact spot he saw his son disappear. Watching and waiting for him to come home. And so when the father sees him, he can't stand still any, any longer. He can't sit there anymore. He runs. He runs to him. Now, it's, it's hard for us to, to fully understand what an incredible picture this is unless we know 
that in, in those days men wore long robes. And men of age and stature like the father, they didn't run. You know, running wasn't a hobby. They didn't run unless somebody was after them. You know, they just didn't do that. It wasn't dignified. But this father loved this son more than he loved his dignity. So he hiked up his skirts and he sprinted off to give him a huge, big old bear hug and a big old sloppy kiss. The younger son experienced the wastefully extravagant love of his father. He experienced what the book of James describes, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But that verse could say, he will run to you. He will run to you. You see, even when we, God's children, squander the incredible fortune that is God's love, and we gamble it on, on one pleasure after another, uh, after another that never lasts, guess what? God does not stay stuck, frozen in anger and resentment. No, he runs up the road to meet us again and again propelled by his love and his mercy and his grace. This morning, maybe, maybe you're the younger son. Maybe you have turned your back on God by just, I mean, living it up. You haven't met a pleasure you didn't like. Maybe you've just turned your back on God on simple self-reliance. Man, I can do this by myself. I don't need any help. But you've realized that none of that lasts. You can't sustain that. And while it was fun for a time to leave home and be on your own, you're ready to come home. I want you to know that you have a Heavenly Father that is ready to run down the road to meet you. And you won't make it home before your heavenly father greets you with a big old bear hug and a big old sloppy kiss. Don't wait any longer. Come home. And for those of you like that older son stayed home, for those of you who feel more like that older son in the story, I want you to know that everything that is the Father, that, is, that belongs to the Father, belongs also to you. Father said to the older son, everything I have is yours. And, and it's in abundance. More than you could ever imagine. His love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness are already yours. And don't forget, don't forget... Don't forget and become self-righteous that one day, there was a day where God ran down the road to meet you too. The first time, man, that may have been a long time ago. Not going to get into your business, but it could have been a long time ago. But you were one day in need of God's grace and love and mercy and his extravagant love. And if you are anything like me, you still need it today, too.
every day. God is ready and willing and waiting to run down the road to meet all of us wherever we are. It's time for us to come home. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your extravagant love. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace that continues to to meet us where we are. Father, whether we feel like we're the younger son and we have just, maybe we've turned our back on you, maybe we've just wasted what you've given us, or we're the older son and we've stayed home, we've done what you've asked, but we've taken it for granted. Father, we're sorry. Forgive us. We can't wait for your embrace. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.